Welcome back to the Task Talks podcast, podcast where we talk about all the goings-ons in the world of school psychology and other random musings. As always, I'm Chris Ponce, and joining me today, I got Brooke Roberts. How you doing, man? I'm good, Chris. It's good to be back. Good, good. And I got Jennifer Baker. What's going on? Greetings, y'all. Good, good. So what are you guys going on? What do you guys got going on in your neck of the woods? Jen, you're in my neck of the woods, so it's not that far away. Anything funny? Anything cool? So not a whole lot. That. Not a whole lot. This episode is probably going to air in June, and people are going to go, Jen, why are you it's cold? 100 bu- it's 100 degrees outside, right? <laughs> All right, so anyway, so I have a question I want to pose to you guys. What I was thinking about the other day, and I think Brooke and I have already talked about this, but you know, breakfast is a major part of my life, especially on the weekends. Um, it is my favorite meal of the day. Um, I kind of think lunch and dinner are a little bit overrated and they just make me kind of full, but breakfast really starts me off. But my three major ones are all very carb heavy and it's waffles, pancakes, and French toast. Okay. So if you had to rank these three items, how would you rank them? Didn't we already rank these the other day, Chris? Well, you and I did. That's what I'm saying. But I don't think we did it for our audience to hear. Are you sure? Okay. Well, Jen, what's your answer then? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just really want to know Jen and our guest answers. I would do it just like you said, waffles, pancakes, and then French toast. French yeah, toast be, at the end? Be, do you have something against I mean, it? Be, to be, be quite wrong. fair, I'm an omelet person, so oh, of none of those. <laughs> but if I pick one of the three waffles, because, I mean, it has purpose. You can put syrup. It holds it in it. Yes. That's yes. exactly what Brooke and I said. No, I don't think you understand, Jim. When I say it's exactly what Brooke and I say, it's not a like what we said. That is exactly what we said. Yeah. Waffles is considerate for you. It tells you it's going to hold everything for you. It has a purpose, like you said. And I really do appreciate that. And I think I made a good choice bringing you on. Uh, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't really surprise me that Jen's a, an omelet person. No, I, I can also, you know, just kind of high maintenance. It takes a lot to make the omelet. Um, you know, it could be crepes. crepes. A little stab. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Okay, well, so let, let's pivot then. Jen, what is your typical filling? Are you just like a ham and cheese gal? Because I don't think you are. Uh, veggies. I mm, load up on mushrooms. the veggies. Mushrooms. Tomatoes. Okay. Tomatoes. Well, that's veggies. a lot of extra work. Well, so so here's something very interesting about our episode today. So this is our second season of doing this. And we've had a lot of phenomenal guests. This is actually our first guest ever that wasn't psych-based. Um, so we're actually expanding our scope and we're having a little bit of our, you know, Western expansion a little bit. Um, but we have our very first principal on today. Um, how you are you could, doing, Marty? You, you could say that, though, uh, you know, being an educational leader is rooted in psychology. Well, what came first? <laughs> you know, and that is exactly the kind of question and musing that I thought was going to happen. I have to... Chris, uh, Brooke, Jen, I am so happy to be here, but I have to say, you know, I was listening to your discussion about pancakes, waffles, French toast, and I have to go, I have to go pancakes first. Oh, I have to tell you why. I have to tell you why. There's a, there's a good reason because waffles, yes, waffles, uh, you know, I think you're asking too much of the waffles is what I'm saying. You want the waffles to do for you, you know, but it's not what the waffles can do for you. It's what the it's what you can do for the pancakes, because the pancakes are like so versatile. I mean, you can put 
chocolate chips in a pancake. You can put blueberries in a pancake. You can put those things in waffles, but they get angry when they get in those little um, crevices, you know, because they don't want to be, they don't want to be relegated to crevices. And so I, I have to say for the, for the, you know, the love of the pancake that, uh, uh, that pancakes uh, have to go first, I have to advocate for the cakes. So to be fair, the other day when, when Chris uh, started this conversation, he said that everything had to be plain. There couldn't be any chocolate chips or blueberries or whipped cream or sprinkles or anything like that. So let's let's make this apples to apples, right? Pancake on a sausage on a stick inside of a pancake or chicken and waffles. You know, you know, now you're talking textures and <laughs> and the salty sweet, you know, the salty sweet thing. I, you know, I I, I feel like, uh, you know, as a big boy, uh, either one of those you put in front of me, I'm going to be super happy to have either one of those. <laughs> so it's a yes. And what a way to segue to our phenomenal guest today. This is one of my principles at one of my campuses down here in San Antonio. Um, we do have a, Marty and I have a lot of fun conversations, much like what you just heard. Um, and we also do our jobs as well. But let me kind of give some background, Marty, and we're going to kind of walk in or work into what he actually does. So he is a father, grandfather, husband, and longtime educator in San Antonio, Texas. He is committed to providing the best educational experience for the students and families at Salinas Elementary School in Judson ISD, where he is principal. Martin has worked in urban, suburban, and rural districts as a teacher and administrator. His interests are in creating and nurturing school culture, providing enriching experiences for students and families, and developing future teachers and administrators. As a former bilingual teacher and administrator, Martin is committed to providing all students with quality programs to develop their unique skills. He hosts a podcast called The Second Question, which highlights educators and provides them a forum to discuss ideas and to honor the teachers that have influence their lives. He is also part of the Texan Connection podcast team that shares perspective from a trio of Texas educators. Welcome, Martin Silverman. How are you doing? I am so glad to be here with you guys. And I have to tell you, um, you know, when you said at the beginning also that I was the first principal you had on this podcast, you know, sometimes having been in this field as long as I have, sometimes I feel like I'm looked at as the actual first principal that may have ever existed. <laughs> this, is, um, this is year uh, 39 in education and year 32 in administration. And so, uh, you know, a lot of these people that I work with, these colleagues that I work with, uh, are, are, you know, they probably uh, want to know how principling was like, yeah. uh, you know, in the, in the ancient days. And so, I, and, and honestly, I can tell them because, <laughs> uh, you know, it seems like ancient days to me as well. well. Was it interesting when you guys went from chalkboard to paper? Was that kind of a huge transition for you guys? <laughs> well, you know, it, it was, it was not as big as the transition from, you know, like rocks and chisels to to you know to chalkboards to be fair yeah. but you know what i did um i did i did actually go from chalkboard to whiteboard and not at the beginning of my career oh, so, so i want to i want to remind our uh, podcast host that tasp is a uh, an organization that is committed to diversity equity and inclusion and uh so we uh we include all people of all ages <laughs> uh, and there is no ageism uh, today, of course not. So, of course not. Of course not. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Sometimes it comes out. Sometimes it comes out in ways. I'll let you know. All right. You know <laughs> so, so, Mari, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so, 
tell us about your journey into education. Um, I know you haven't been a principal your whole career, so um, you don't have to tell us every little detail because you and I have had enough conversations in the six years that we've known each other at this point that I know all this stuff. But for all of our listeners, kind of just give us a synopsis. How did you get here? Yeah, so I do not come from a family of educators. Um, I come from a family of uh, first-generation Americans. Uh, all four grandparents uh, came from Europe, from Eastern Europe, and uh, settled in New York. Eventually, my parents, you know, met in New York. They were the first generation born here. And you know, I don't come from college-educated parents. I come from uh, one high school graduate and one high school dropout uh, who were able to. Uh, you know, cobble out a family of four kids. I'm the youngest of four, the only boy. So it is a, a fantastic position to be in, uh, to be the youngest and the only boy in a family. And so I had a lot of uh, input from parents uh, and from sisters who, you know, the family legend goes, played school with me when I was a, a little guy. And, and, you know, the story I love to tell that's actually a true story is, my crib, they say, was the principal's office. And so you talk about imprinting from, from an early, you know, from an early age. Uh, I was living in the principal's office uh, in diapers at that, at that point. And I went to school not to become a teacher initially, but, you know, it, it was, there was a pull to that. I don't know why it was, but it was one of those things where I had kind of an epiphany my uh, beginning of my junior year. And I was like, you know what, I am aimless right now. And there's something that is probably out there that I want to do. And it literally struck me that I wanted to be a teacher. And, you know, it had, didn't come out of the complete blue. There had been thoughts, you know, as a, as a child growing up, because I had generally a positive school experience for the most part. And so I, uh, you know, finished my undergraduate. I became a teacher. I went to college in upstate New York and uh, Texas beckoned with no snow in April. And so I, you know, I, I started teaching in Houston, ISD in Houston, taught there for three years and it kind of slid down 10 West and ended up in San Antonio. And here I am. Uh, started teaching in 1983. I've always been an elementary person, taught first grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, was a bilingual pullout teacher uh, and an assistant principal, a principal and here I am. But, and you've worked across all different settings too, right? You know, urban, rural, suburban. So you've been able to kind of experience the world education wise in all those different places. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe not necessarily the differences, but little things you've kind of picked up along the way, right? I mean, it, it helps your approach as a principal and administrator now, I'm sure, or I've seen it, but for sure. No. And that's, you bring up a good point. It's actually something I was talking about today um, with somebody. It, it, what people tend to see, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, right? I grew up in a housing project my first seven years. Uh, then we always rented. My parents never owned a home. Um, you know, the, the whole college experience was different for me. But, and I think the reason I say that is I think it gave me a, a sense of what people's lives were that were that were like mine and also not like mine because I did go to college and I did you know, get a degree and then a master's degree. And so um, I think the perspective that I have always used is you, you know, we, we tend to see differences clearly in people and we tend to sometimes not see 
similarities. But you know, if we look at similarities, there's so many more of those than not. And so when I went from San Antonio ISD to a rural district, you know, west of here, um, it was different. You know, kids were talking about um, when they were talking about estimation and math, they were talking about estimating the amount of feed, you know, to to feed an animal that was not, you know, at all in my schema, right? But essentially, we're talking about concepts that are universal. And so I found the concepts universal. And so then the people universal, you know, everybody was uh, a parent that was interested in their child that was wanting the best, you know, uh, for their for their child. And when you start with that, it got easier. So so being able to relate in different spots, um, you know, I think was a lot from looking at similarities rather than differences. So when did you kind of decide you wanted to make that transition from a teacher to a principal? Or did that kind of just fall into your lap? No, no, it did not. It was actually my first year teaching. I started teaching at a first grade in a school in Houston. And I was one of my co-teachers in that group of five of us was a 30-year veteran first grade teacher. And it occurred to me very quickly that she and I were essentially in the same spot doing the same thing. You know, she had done it 30 times and I was doing it my first time. And I thought, no, that's not gonna work for me to do the same thing 30 times. And so uh, I started my master's at University of Houston, my second semester teaching. Okay. And then, so you've transitioned into this educator role as a principal um, and this comes from personal experience because obviously I've worked with you for a amount of time. You you run your campus in a way that I really kind of haven't seen and other people do it. We have this great, we have high expectations for our students, but we're also going to enjoy school too. And I, I know it sounds dumb, but I really, that's kind of how I perceive it. So kind of talk about your philosophy about as a principal. I am an observer of people and processes and that's always, I guess, something I've, I've been able to do. You know, we, it's hard for us sometimes to be reflective, but I used to have to force myself to, and then it became a habit right. to, to be reflective of my own practice, but also of, of other people's practice. And what I saw was that uh, micromanagement was not working well for either the, the micromanager or the micromanaged. And so that really kind of quickly uh, went away. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I like to want to be in the place that I am going to spend most of my daylight hours, right? And so if if I'm going to drive and be miserable, you know, because I live, as you know, Chris, far from school, I'm uh, 30 plus miles from the school. But if I'm going to drive that distance and be miserable, I don't want to do that. Right. And so part of what, you know, in lowering uh, staff and student concerns about being micromanaged because the opposite of that is I guess macromanaging which is you know here are the important blocks and the pieces and the expectation is that you meet those important blocks and you know take care of those important pieces but people are hired to who are you know who I have utter faith in uh, and hope you know usually most of the time uh, they people will meet that expectation sometimes they don't and it you know it it pains me that sometimes people don't meet that expectation, but you know, ultimately the expectation is you're going to create a place that you want to come every day as a teacher, as a custodian, as a cafeteria worker, as a paraprofessional, as the receptionist, and as 
you know, most importantly as me. And so if I can provide those opportunities for people to want to, you know, when their feet hit the floor, the adults, they say they don't dread, Ugh, you know, I have to go to, to work today. That then, you know, transfers to the kids. I want the kids to wake up and their feet hit the floor and they say, I can't wait to go to school today because I want to see what's going to happen today. I feel like we've jumped right into the deep end. And this is, I mean, we, we really have gone, this was a great fireside chat. We often ask our guests how they found school psychology, how, you know, how they found this profession, because I think we acknowledge uh, in our field that we kind of have an awareness problem or a, a, um, just a lot of people don't know about us. I, I'm interested in your view of school psychologists. When, who, who did you encounter first as a, as a school psychologist? When did you first hear about that? What's your, what's your view of, of the role that these, not, I mean, aside from Chris, um, Obviously. you know, what do school psychologists bring to, uh, to, to a team? Yeah, no, that's a great question because we do tend to, in my, you know, it's funny because uh, when I think of the, the job that you guys do, and when I think of the enormity of it to, to you, so I want you to think about this, like your school psychology is 100% of what you do, right? That's what you spend your time doing 100% of the time. So you're 100% focused on being the school psychologist and providing uh, the service, the, the testing, the, the, you know, the interaction, the uh, support, the collaboration, all of those things that school psychologists, that good school psychologists do for their campuses. When we're looking at kids who are presenting with all kinds of different uh, situations, right? What I have to look at is what you do in my realm may only be a little part of the whole operation of a school. And so you look at the, the enormity of the value of what you provide to a relatively small number of students that allows them to hopefully, you know, get on a path to being a successful and, you know, well-adjusted and well-rounded and, and taking, taking care of, for lack of a better word, the, the value, I saw the value early of that, that enormous potential to be support even though the number of students is relatively small. And so I was, and that, that happened because I worked in schools that had phenomenal support people. And, and, I, and I, I say support, and I hope you don't see that as like just support, because I don't see that as just support. And I, I, I want to clarify that I don't use that word because, it, you know, when, when things go well for everybody, you know, if, if we could do something one way and it just went well for everybody, well, wouldn't life be grand, right? But that's the reality is that is not what happens almost ever. You know, you kind of throw something out there and, and kind of hope it works sometimes. And, uh, you know, of course, with planning and research behind it, right? Um, I have to add that. Then you find the, you know, the, the, one, the ones that it doesn't just work for. And so then we need people like you guys to help us clarify the vision for those. Absolutely. I think it's a good way to transition into one of the articles you wrote uh, for Teach Better, um, learning to drive during rush hour or perspective. Um, can you kind of talk to us about that and just give us a synopsis about it? What, why, why write this? Well, I'm going to tell you, I wrote that to, I'm not going to lie. Part of it was to poke the bear, to poke <laughs> the bear, because 
You know, I I am a I am a parent of a of a child who was you know who has uh, anxiety, uh, who struggled mightily in school for a few years, who is now a special education teacher. Okay, so uh, you know, based on his experiences with, and that's not what he intended to. That's not what he started out to be at all. You know, special ed found him and embraced him and. And now that's, you know, and when you talk about like the future of you guys, he was talking to me this morning about starting his master's program in his first year of school, just like his dad, but he's talking about a master's in special education and and wanting to do kind of what you guys do. The article was written to give a perspective of real, you know, boots on the ground experiences with kids who are actual real people and not um, names on a IEP. Okay. And, and I want to clarify that, that the, the purpose of it, of the article. So the article, what I wrote in the article was essentially that, you know, one of the things that we are told as, as general educators is we want to keep kids with, uh, general ed settings and procedures and processes as much as possible. And nobody would argue that, I mean, my goodness, if, if you do an ARD, how many times has that said? That's said like yeah. 150 times, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's true, 150, right, Jen? At least 150. Um, but, and then, I, and then I read the assurance. After, after it's been said a bunch of times, then I read the assurances. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. We're really going to do that. You know, like, <laughs> let me read three more statements that say that, that same thing again. But I will tell you that I, I had an experience uh, that really brought it home to me when I was principal at my previous school in Judson. And we had a behavior adjustment class. And what I saw was, and we were a magnet for behavior adjustment class kids um, from a bunch of campuses. And what had happened to those kids at their previous campuses typically was they had a negative experience because they were in general education. They were not functioning well. They were, you know, they were having trouble with, um, uh, with self-regulation. I mean, just all kinds of, all kinds of things that was causing them distress. And what the initial thought was, was, well, you know, we'll put a person in the room with them to help them self-regulate. I mean, it's just like a practice that was done, right? We'll put a, an aid, a crisis aid or an aid, you know, and what ended up happening, what I saw in reality was those students were, were existing alongside of general education and not really, they weren't integrating better into general ed. They were existing in the same physical space, like in the four walls of that room, but not in the same way because the, the self-regulation, you know, problems they were having were, were serious. I mean, they were, they were causing other kids to look at them differently, to, you think of them differently, you know, they got disapproving looks from, they couldn't help it, you know, disapproving looks from adults in the school when they dysregulated, you know, and so my thought was, and I had a, a behavior adjustment class teacher who said, you know what, let them come here a bunch of time. Let's, you know, let's flip that and say, and say, have kids come to a room where we work on that self-regulation. And then once they got that, then we put them 
in like then we practice in situations. And so the reason I called it uh, learning to drive during rush hour was I uh, related it to teaching my teenagers how to drive. And I said, I would never have put them you know, on a highway, on, on a busy highway, you know, 410 here in San Antonio, the uh, one of the busiest highways at rush hour, and then said, let's learn how to drive here. I, I taught them on side streets. We practiced in parking lots. We, you know, we did a lot of the maneuvers and then let's get on the highway, you know? And so the, the, the intent of that article was to kind of, I'm gonna say it again, to poke the bear at people who say, it is always better for a child to be thrown into this, situation that may not always cause, you know, I, I just wonder sometimes if we think about what that causes that child. And the reason I brought it up to begin with was what ended up happening was we had kids at that school who ultimately didn't need the officially the back, the behavior adjustment class service anymore, but we never sent them back to their campus because we said, you know, you're here and you're successful and you weren't over there. And so we want you, you're in a place where you have had positive experiences we want to keep it because if you go back to the other school it's not like they're going to be like yay he's back you know there's going to have been because humans are humans right they're going to be they're going to have had some preconceived notions about you and here you can be fully in general so those kids always came stayed as transfers and were fully in general ed and they just knew that the back teacher was there to say hi to you in the hallway uh, but but and that happened so many times that i thought why aren't we doing this you know, why isn't this the way we do this? Yeah, I think, um, so that was well, I mean, we, the, the phrases, the, the terminology, you know, we keep, we always talk about least restrictive environment, right? And, but it, we've got to remember it's the least restrictive environment for that child. Um, and, and so I love that analogy that you, that you bring, uh, another principal that I had worked with, uh, one time said, you know what, we're not necessarily going to have the kid cooking in the kitchen if we can't cook in the kitchen without starting a fire. And, and, and so we've got to really, uh, think stepwise about what it looks like so that we can prepare those children for that, that next level or for life after after high school i really man you're hitting it you're hitting the nail on the head marty Thank 39 you. years right marty you'll you figure something out during that time it, it, it took a while right you, i always tell i always tell people you live on earth long enough you you figure some stuff out well so so how did you come to write this was this something that you always just were passionate about and you're like somebody let me write this for a blog or did they reach out to you or what Oh my gosh, no, it was, you know, the, the, the whole blog writing thing started, you know, I was not a writer except in my head. I've always had notes uh, for a future, you know, like thing um, in the back of notebooks. I have sticky notes. I probably still have them in old, in old notebooks, sticky notes of if I ever write something, you know, I'm going to write, this is what I'm going to write about. But I, the pandemic was horrible, except for it was, you know, the analogy I used for that, it was like the, the tube, the toothpaste tube cap got put on when we couldn't leave the house and we, you know, we couldn't, we, we but the toothpaste still has to come out, right? It's going to come out somehow. So, so that, you know, the tube still got squeezed and the way it came out for me was I had all these stories and Chris has been the, and I'm going to use beneficiary, beneficiary in air quotes of a lot of the stories. Uh, because I'm because I communicate through storytelling a lot. And so but they had never been written down. I was part of a, um, a Zoom group that would meet of administrators uh, across the country. And that organization, Teach Better, 
uh, it's called the admin mastermind. And I, they also do blogs. And I was like, great, I've got a thousand stories, right? <laughs> and so I started writing random, like whatever, just what you said, whatever came in my head at that moment, like, oh, I need to tell this story. I need to tell this story. Uh, you know, I talked about, I, I wrote so many um, different ones uh, that were just one off, you know, on a subject. Since then, I've refined a little bit. I have, they asked me if I'd write a blog series and I have done that. I'm, I'm on number, I think eight of 10 is, uh, well, I've written eight of 10. I have two more to write, but um, a monthly series. And so I have to be a little bit more focused with that one. But but when that uh, article came out last spring, it was just, this is what I'm thinking of right now and I'm gonna bang it out on the keyboard. Well, and to, so our listeners have a little bit of background, uh, Marty and I both found out last summer that we both had podcasts when it was kind of brought up casually. So Marty and I, we both work all year round. So there's a lot of time during the summertime where, you know, we don't feel like playing for the next school year. And we just sit there and we have conversations about randomness for hours on end. And just this just happened to come up that we both happen to have podcasts. So I have, yes, Marty, I have been the beneficiary of a lot of your phenomenal stories. And I say that and not in jest, like, you have an amazing experience. You have an amazing life. So I like just sitting there listening to you and having these conversations. And it's really easy because you have so many stories that I can just basically say a topic. And you're like, oh, yes, I remember back in 96, I think it was where, uh, you know, so. it's, it's like it's like edu improv. You can yeah. call it edu improv. Edu improv. Yeah. <laughs> so those conversations, do they happen when you're uh, racing chairs down the hallway after summer school? No, no, no. That's uh, what I've we're heard. talking about the next year's fantasy football oh, okay. draft yeah. and what we're going to be doing. Okay. So speaking of fantasy <laughs> football, and Marty, I don't know if you're a player. Yes. Um, we have a Salinas so, League. So we, we've oh, okay. You've got, you've, got a, you've got a building league. So um, yeah. I think Jen maybe beat both me and Chris this year. Yeah. And, and probably Kia as well. But I heard, I heard Marty that you and Chris had this conversation of if you could have a fantasy uh, staff draft yes <laughs> um who, what would be the first person and so chris po posed that question to me a while back and i was like secretary but then he said nope you're wrong and so i kind of want to hear how y'all worked that out and and what you uh decided on and i'm going to tell you i'm going to tell you brooke uh, and jen also that my fantasy drafting comes from the heart and therefore the trophy has never been you know <laughs> residing in my just, just so you know that it's like oh I like this guy I you know I like him as a player I like him as a person I'm gonna pick him and then you know I I pay I pay uh, for that by coming in I didn't you know I didn't do too badly that one that one year but but uh this particular year was this, not this is a rough year a for you year. you also are this the a rough year I had a lot of a lot of injuries this year well you're you're also cursed as a Giants fan right so I mean that's gonna be yeah well there is that there is that <laughs> There is that. Um, so, so I, yes. So secretary, you would, so you would not choose secretary first because when you're looking at your draft, if you're doing it, you know, not from the heart, if you're doing it from the mind more than the heart, you would say, I could get a good secretary a little bit later in the draft. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the secretary helps. It's like run your defense. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like your exactly. They protect you. Exactly. They you never pick you. them first. You would never pick them first. You would never pick them first. Um, so you, so the secretary runs the administrative, like 
stuff that is super important, you know, first person, a lot of times that's seen. And so you, so that secretary would be high in the draft, but the people that would get snapped up first that could have a huge impact would be like your academic coach, your, um, your support teachers, um, your, you know, your, if you have a back unit, you want your back teacher first, because if you don't get the good one, then they're not, you know, you're, you're going to be left with, um, you know, uh, the Giants defense. And that's <laughs> not a good thing to end up with. Well, and also that's you're, you're coming from a principal's perspective, right? Where you would be called to deal with these students possibly. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that was a, that was a nice fun conversation. Brooke and I, uh, not Brooke, Marty and I had last summer, and we kind of went through it all. Yeah, and we also it, it, we also uh, saw it on Facebook, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> where we that was that was on a Facebook group, where also where people were they were giving wrong answers too. You know, there yeah. were uh, because like as Sheldon Cooper in you know Big Bang says, there is I, I'm going to ask you this, and there is one right answer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, you so you're involved with a bunch of principals across the world really right i mean you consult with them you talk with them you bring them onto your podcast and we're going to kind of move into your podcast here in a second but how did you get involved with that is just slowly just reaching out there until somebody took the line yeah and so you know the podcast is another toothpaste tube squeezing thing right it yeah. was that was born directly out of pandemic i don't want to say boredom um but pandemic like i got to do something and this is a way to do like, I need the, uh, the, the interaction with people and, you know, on a podcast, they're kind of captive. Right. And so, uh, <laughs> and so they're on the screen there, they can't just go away. Um, the, but the, the podcast started with this idea that I had for essentially a, an educational chat show. Um, it's a talk show. It's not, uh, you know, I go deep, into specifics sometimes, but it's not, it's really more designed because it, it's called the second question. And the second question, the reason it's called that is the second question of teacher interviews uh, is who's the best teacher you ever had and why were they the best? Because you learn a lot about people's philosophy, about their, you know, the way that they want things to be in their classrooms. And so it's, you know, the first question is usually tell about yourself or, you know, it's usually kind of a little bit of a softball, but the second question is, you know, goes a little deeper. And the, the, so that's the last question on the podcast is who's the best teacher you ever had and why. And what I was finding out was it's the circle started close. So my first two episodes were me alone. My set, my third episode was my son, uh, who was at that time, a you know, a life skills paraprofessional uh, getting his teaching degree and talking about, you know, starting um, his teaching career and then moved to, you know, people I work with and people I know, you know, locally. And I got sort of, you know, toe dipped into Twitter a little bit. I'm not as deep as some people. It's, uh, it infuriates me sometimes. I, I doom scroll through, you know, through uh, comments and just make myself mad. And so sometimes I have to turn that off a little bit, but, you know, then uh, it started to be a few people listened and then a few people knew somebody. And then I started, I had a, a, you know, in somewhere in the first season, there was somebody I didn't know that I was meeting for the first time uh, on the podcast. And, and then those, then it like, after that, that kind of like opened up to, well, if I'll do that, uh, you know, I can do this. And, you know, one of the crowning achievements so far, I'm just about to episode, I just did episode 40 
with somebody I hadn't met, a, a high school teacher from South Carolina. The one before that was a guy that I had stumbled across a video um, on YouTube of this guy who was a golden buzzer winner on Britain's Got Talent. And he's a headmaster of a school in England. And he brought his kids, uh, you know, a bunch of the kids to Britain's Got Talent. And I was like, this guy is, I mean, you know, if you watch the video and you don't cry, there's something wrong with you. Um, and so you watch it because it's just joy. I mean, it's like pure joy, right? You see in these kids and, and the, I watched it and I was like, you know what, I'm going to connect with this guy on, on Twitter. And right after that, I was like, Hey, uh, would you want to be on like, you know, would you want to be on my little podcast? And he agreed. And so we had this phenomenal interview, um, uh, he his school won happiest school in Britain and and you know the whole philosophy of uh, it's called you know he says he they call it dare to dream and it's like we you know we, we went for something that most people wouldn't try to go for like Britain's Got Talent and a few other things but what that did was that built such capacity in our staff and kids because now when things come up about anything he says you know it's no more well we can't do that because we've done even more. And so, and so what, it's, what it's brought me is almost more than probably what it's brought them. Because, you know, let's face it, some people want to go on and promote a book or, you know, like build their network of, you know, people for something. But, but a lot of what we talk about is just like, who are you and, and tell us about your, you know, your, your stuff. And so it's, um, that podcast has really, help me just connect and get some things, you know, to fill my own bucket. It's been awesome. It's, it, I'm sure it's very cathartic for you as well, right? Just having these, I mean, I know you, I know you, you're a very good conversationalist and I'm sure that first episode was very interesting. Just talking to yourself for however long you went off for whatever, four hours or whatever, but really, what are you, what are you taking away from this? Cause you're bringing in people, not from local, you're bringing in from statewide and then nationwide and then you know, across the pond, literally, what are you taking in from this? You know, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. It's it, number one, it is amplifying people's voices. You know, it's, it's definitely that it's, it's definitely the story element. And we need, we, as, as big as the world is, as open as it has become, it's still, we still hang out with the same people that we see on a daily basis. You know, that's the norm. And so just that it was opened up to me that, man, there are all these people all over the place that have similar experiences to mine, but not the same, right? Similar, but, uh, you know, we have, we have connection, but we're, we don't do the same thing every day in the same place. And we can learn from each other. I mean, that for sure. But also, you know, when I was saying at the beginning, when you look for similarities rather than differences, because these people, when they come on, what we talk about is, you know, the pancakes, waffles, French toast type questions. It's, you know, that's like the meat so to speak, those are not me, but uh, that's the meat of a lot of the episodes is like, you've done a lot of things. What have you not done that you want to do? You know, like those yeah. kind of questions where yeah. we just get down to, and then what we find out is like, wow, people are people, right? All <laughs> people are, you know, the same uh, aspirations, the same uh, problems. And like the guy we were talking about, you know, he is a runner, which I'm not, he is a, you know, um, he lives in England, which I've never even been to, you know, like there's so many different things that I, that I could find. But ultimately, when we talked, it was like you know, you, there were so many commonalities that it was 
it's nice to be able to share that with other people that that this great big world you know what i mean there's a lot of people that you can connect with this season on our podcast one big thing that we're trying to do is highlight people in the trenches right not the people that you've heard about at least in our world right we brooke did a phenomenal series in our first season where we talked about the legends of texas the legends of school psychology in the state of texas but this season we're trying to really kind of highlight people you've never heard of and that seems like kind of like what you're doing right some teacher from south carolina for instance, right? Uh, a UK principal, things like that. And I think that's really awesome. And you are amplifying their voices. Who's somebody that's super memorable that you've talked to that hasn't been on a TV show? I, this is, you know, this is going to sound lifetime movie, but, you know, talking to my son in that realm was just a really cool moment. If you have kids and, you know, now grown kids and now grandkids, there are moments that you say, oh my God, they're an adult. You know, like <laughs> that baby, it was an adult now, you know? And so that was a moment for me, for sure. Um, but what I, but, but I'm going to go still to a big, to a big one that was a, that was a big deal to me because we went to, the principals were sent to go see uh, a gentleman named Joe Sanfilippo, who is a, a superintendent up in Wisconsin. He is, you know, multi-book author. He, he has, um, he speaks on communication and, you know, telling your story. And he's, you know, one of those people on Twitter that has tens of thousands of followers and, and, uh, you know, people know who he is, but what he, I asked him again, do you want to be in my little, you know, my, my podcast that reaches tens of listeners, you know, like it, it's not, it's not huge. I, you know, it's tens of listeners and, and, he agreed, and and what people found out is like these people are just people. Like you, you were talking um, uh, that you said Jen did a series on the legends, but I bet Jen you found out those legends were just people who were who happened to have done something extraordinary. And you could definitely say that like a bunch of the the what what you would call the unknown in the trenches people really are extraordinary in so many ways. Absolutely, absolutely. Um... Sorry, I lost my train of thought here. Oh, and, and so you've started this during quarantine, right? That's kind of what you said. Um, did you have a long-term goal with this or was this just going to put it out there and see what happens? It was really pretty much put it out there and see what happens. You know, it led to the second podcast, which has been, which is similar to this one, except that we, the three of us just talk and we don't have guests. We just talk, you know, we just kind of take a topic and, and run with it ourselves. But yeah, it's like whatever happens, you know, at the beginning, like any new project, you know, it's like when you go on a diet or you start running or you do whatever, like in the beginning, you're going to like keep up with it and track it and, you know, build a habit, right? Um, but what it became was, you know what, when it's, when the next one's ready to come out, it'll come out. So, I, so it started to become almost work because I was like, got to get one out every week, you know, got to get, you know, guests lined up. And then it was like, you know what? I would rather have a, I don't want to like book a whole bunch of people who I, you know, are just there to fill space. And so now I just wait for the, the, the right thing to come along, you know, and, and when it does, then that's the next episode. Well, what, tell us about that second podcast. So you have another one with just you and two other people where you just converse and talk about other random musings. Yeah. The, te the Texan connection, you, you mentioned it in the bio, the Texan connection is, through podcasting and these groups uh, during um, during COVID, 
I connected with a, a guy in Houston and a guy in Fort Worth who are both former high school principals. One is retired, uh, repurposed, as he would say, and the other one is uh, currently working in, in a district office situation. We never met. We actually just met. We started the podcast a year ago um, this month, but we just met for the first time in person about three weeks ago. All three of us in one room. How was your meet? How was that? How was your uh, meet cute? <laughs> oh my gosh! No, it was it was fantastic. And but you know, so we've we've communicated this way. And so what we do is something will come up on you know a Twitter feed or a Facebook post or something we read, something we heard, and then we throw it out there and we just you know take different sides. And I you know my role gets to be the um, the bear the you know the poke in the bear guy uh, you know because the, I, I love to kind of lure them into I, I say that it's not true um but I'll always find another side of something yeah. to consider and so yeah. uh, so I'll say well you know I need to push back on that and they're like oh what a surprise yeah. you know, gonna push back <laughs> that's now become my role in that in that trio but but it's all it is is just for us to put that out there and then people to hear it and say, you know what, I, this is my opinion on that. You know, podcasting is kind of a lonely-ish thing is you probably found it. You don't get a ton of feedback, but you may get somebody tell you something, they heard this or that, but, but typically you don't get a lot of feedback and blogging is the same way. You just have to, but it's like, I've put it out there in the world and I'm satisfied with that. Yeah, we're just putting thoughts out there and you're either going to listen or not. And if you just stop listening, I mean, it's like assuming you just didn't like it. Right. Well, and there's, you would assume there's something wrong with them, right? Yeah, oh, course, clearly, obviously. I mean, have you seen us? We're fine. <laughs> so we're getting kind of close to the end here, Marty. At the end of every single one of our episode, we love to give our guests rapid questions and it's just quick answered questions and things like that. So I'm going to let Jen kind of take from here and she's going to kind of just get you, give you a bunch of different questions real quick. Okay. And we need your honest opinion on these. <laughs> we're going to test your automaticity skills. And like you said, how you pick your draft, you just do what you feel. Just do yeah. what you feel. Yeah. Uh, okay. The first one, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Um, lunch. Lunch. Good choice. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Food over gifts yes. always. What would you do if you won the lottery? Uh, if I won the lottery, I would I would travel. That I mean, that would be the ultimate goal. Of course, you know, give money to the kids, blah blah blah, charity. But I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, <I'd> travel. <laughs> we're talking about for me, not blah. You know, if we're talking for me, I would travel. There's a lot of places I want to see. Oh, what would be the first place? Um, I don't have a passport, and um, uh, and so I think it's time. I, I feel like it's time to um, step off the continent and see. I think I'd love to go to Spain. I'd love to go to England. You know, I was a bilingual teacher, so uh, Spain is appealing. Um, there's no place really that I don't want to go. Probably not the Ukraine today, um, although that's where my, you know, if I was visiting ancestral cities, you know, my grandparents' uh, home cities were in now, the, their home city is in currently in the borders of the Ukraine. So, you know, it is, wow. I, I, I say that, you know, like I, I'm not looking for danger, but, um, but at some point that would also be when things settle down, I'd go On there the too. List. Absolutely. What was your first job? My first job was I worked in a stock room of a 
handbag manufacturer in the garment district in New York when I was 15. That was the factory my dad worked in. And he got me that he got me a job in the stock room. What did, what did you do? I pulled orders. It was it was this great, um, you know, dichotomous thing because it was a sweatshop behind a gorgeous uh, showroom because these were high end like Neiman Marcus and up uh, handbags. But I was in the back where the you know, the windows were painted black and uh, so you couldn't see out of them and people were on sewing machines and they manufactured these that's when you know things were still manufactured here and they were manufactured it was in a it was in a the eighth floor of a building right around the corner from the empire state building and so um you would never know that this sweatshop probably existed in there but um they would manufacture the bags and they would you know box them in this little warehouse area and orders would come in and i would pick stock and box it up to be sent to Saks Fifth Avenue and Neiman Marcus and places like that. That is so cool. (laughs) And rode the freight elevator, but I did not, was not allowed to ride the the front elevator. Back, sir. (laughs) Wild. Wild and crazy. Um, What did you want to be when you were younger? Uh, What I wanted, you know, I always thought that acting would be great. And, you know, I could say that teaching is acting. And so I'm, you, you could make a case that uh, if I want to be an actor or a teacher, they're kind of the same thing. Got to be entertaining. Keep the crowd. Android or iPhone? Oh, iPhone. <laughs> that was such the same. What is your biggest fear? Probably heights as a general. Yeah, there'll never be Christmas lights on my roof because I don't have a low roof line, only a two-story roof line. And so it will never happen because going on a ladder, even to change a light bulb freaks me out. Which is ironic, Marty, if I may say, because you are exceptionally I tall. I know. I'm, I'm, up, I'm as high as I need to go. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you need something high, it's not, you, you don't need it. Is it wrong for vegetarian to eat animal crackers? You know, morally, yes. It's also wrong for them to to eat, you know, fake chicken and, uh, you know, burgers that are not meat and all that. We need to learn to work within our morals. And so I'm going to say, yes, that is uh, immoral to eat animal crackers. I love it. We're actually getting varying answers on this, Brooke. This is Brooke's big question this this season. I like I like the moral uh, the moral slant, though. <laughs> The last one has to be definitely quick and truthful. What is it like to work with Chris? Oh, uh, what is it? So quick and truthful. Chris is a delight, as you know. And Chris brings fun and entertainment and studiousness. And I am being serious, Chris, because oh, Chris knows that that he would not have, have probably lasted as long. You know, in, in our district, that people don't have the 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 staying power that you've had in the same spots. And that wouldn't happen if he was not uh, an all around great guy. So uh, it's great to work with Chris. I appreciate that, Marty. I appreciate that. I really do. And I really do want to thank you for coming on here. It's something that's been literally a year in the making. And we, we kind of give each other updates on our different podcasts all the time. But I do want to plug all your stuff. So let's go through it all again. So what are your podcasts? Where are you doing blogs at? Where are you writing stuff at? The podcast, The Second Question, and The Texan Connection. And if you really want to have some fun, I do a podcast with our kids at Salinas yes. uh, called uh, This Ranger Life. And so we have about 13 episodes of, of a kid podcast, This Ranger Life, if you want to listen to that one as well. Um, 
The blogs are right now on uh, Teach Better Team uh, website. I also just had my first published in print um, article in the Texas Elementary Principal and Supervisors, TEPSA, Principal and Supervisors Association News uh, came out, the first of a series came out uh, just like in the last couple of weeks. Um, and there'll be another one coming in the next issue. And that's my first, like, I can hold it yeah. in my hand, a printed yeah. article. They just sent me tons of copies. So Chris, I'm going to make you take one. It's, uh, next it's, time. Well, remember, I came and got one today. It's very weird. You're making us read it for the next oh, faculty meeting. <laughs> yeah, and that's the only thing you need to read from now on. And um, other, I'm, I'm going to leave this as a teaser, other writing adventures coming soon. Got it. Hey, and where do we find your podcast at? Uh, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, uh, Podbean, any of the the listening places that you listen to podcasts. Uh, just search the second question, the Texan Connection, and you'll find both of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so I want to thank you, Marty. Uh, any lasting thoughts before we head off into the abyss? I may have been as wise as I could be you know, in a sustained way. So I don't know that I have any mic drop uh, words for you, but I will say this, you expanding your reach to more people for this podcast is uh, only going to help your organization and your profession. You're part of the profession because we often keep our own stuff hidden and we don't let People. And so we just talk among, we talk amongst ourselves, as we would say in Brooklyn, right? Except we would say with a great accent. And so um, it's good to kind of open it up to other people and, and let, you know, the other perspectives uh, shine as well. So thank you guys for doing that. Of course, of course. And we're really hoping that's what's going to happen here. And for Brooke and Jennifer and Martin, I'm Chris Ponce, as always. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, at txasp.org. And until next time, make good choices.